All right, guys. My name's Drew, one of the pastors at Salt City, and it's always fun to jump in with you guys on Thursday night. So tonight I said goodbye to my five kids, and I jumped in my minivan and put on my classical music and looked in the mirror at my gray hair, and I uh, thought about the fact that my wife turned 40 in November, and I realized why I was assigned the book of Proverbs to teach. It's the book of wisdom. And so they call in the old guy. And so that's why I'm here talking about uh, how we can live skillfully. So the book of Proverbs is about how we can put knowledge into action in our daily lives. It's easy to have head knowledge as a Christian and not have that impact our everyday life. So basically, Proverbs is a letter from a father to his son about what it looks like to have wisdom in all the different varied areas of life. And the thing that we're going to talk about tonight is the wisdom to be dependent on God. And what I heard God saying through this text as I studied it is he's pleading with us to go all in in our dependence on him. You know, it's so easy to live our Christian life like those people, I don't understand these people, who go to the pool and they wade in really slow and then they spend like a long time, like halfway in. Well, what I want to tell those people is like, that is the worst way to go into a pool. Like, just run and do a cannonball because it's better to be out or all the way in than it is to be halfway in. And and this father is saying to us as his kids, go all in. I was reminded of this quote from a guy named Ray Ortland who is quoting his dad, whose name is also Ray Orland. So you get like a double Ray Orland quote. It's like Inception. But anyway, here's what he said to him. His dad was a pastor. He said, I don't care if you grow up to be a ditch digger, but you must be all out for Christ. If you're half-hearted, you'll only feel guilty and miserable. But if you give yourself to him wholly, your life will be rich and full. Here's what we're going to talk about tonight. The good life, the life that you want, is lived in radical, all-in dependence on God with your whole being. So we're looking at four ways to live this out. The first one is to obey God's commandments. We're looking at Proverbs chapter 3. Let's just read the first four verses to start. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. 
So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. So you can see right away, this is a deeply personal letter from a father to a son who is pleading with his son to live a life of wisdom, to go all in. And the first thing that he says to his son is obey God with everything that you've got. He doesn't say live this life of sort of half-hearted obedience to God where you only obey him when you feel like it and sort of follow your heart and let it go wherever it leads you. No. He says make sure that your heart stays on fire to obey God. That you are passionate from the inside out to obey God with everything that you have for length of days and years of your life, for your whole life. It says, not just go through the motions, but let your heart Heart in the Bible doesn't just mean like in here. It doesn't just mean your emotions or your affections. It means your whole being. He's saying, let everything that you are be about obeying God. Write it on the tablet of your heart. Write it on your whole being. Make it the mission statement of your entire life to be obedient to God. Now, some of you right now, what you're thinking is, are you saying that I should be a pastor or a missionary? Maybe, but that's not what this father is saying to his son. He's being even more basic than that. He's not saying, think about what you're going to do with your life. He's saying, think about who you're going to be in your life. Let steadfast love and faithfulness never forsake you. Steadfast love and faithfulness. How uncool can you get? Faithfulness. Doing the right thing. Over and 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 over again, even when the people around you aren't doing the right thing. Over and over and over again. I'm not just talking about for us of college. I'm not just talking about in your career. I'm talking about until you bite the dust. Do the right thing. At every turn, you will never regret doing the right thing faithfulness, steadfast love. Do you know what that means? It means the annoying people in your connection group and in this room and in your classes right now are practice for a lifetime of putting up with annoying people in your life. Do you know why it's hard to love people? Because people are hard to love. Just ask Jesus. The cross is the symbol of how hard you are to love. And he calls us to that same steadfast 
love. And here's what it will do. It will kill you. He's calling you to die. Guys, my dad just retired last week. He's in Florida. It's the first time my parents have ever been on more than like a week-long vacation in their lives. They're in Florida for a month celebrating that he retired. And I wrote my dad a letter. And this is part of what I said to him. Dad, I'm celebrating your ordinary faithfulness to get up and go to work each day of your career to honor God and to love our family. You have worked in faith that God gave you your mind and your hands for his glory and for the good of others. You set me an incredible example of putting one foot in front of the other and giving generously to the church in both time and money along the way. The Lord sees you and your son is deeply grateful for you. May this next season be a season of passing on what you have received from him and enjoying the fruit of your labor. You want your kids to write you that letter someday. And what you are doing right now is setting the trajectory of your life. Your daily decisions matter. And if you want to experience the favor of God and his blessing in your life, there is no other way than ordinary faithfulness. You won't find it in fame and success and money. It's all a lie. Even the most famous and successful people only find true favor from the people around them and experience the blessing of God in their life if their life is marked by ordinary faithfulness and steadfast love. Nobody likes a snob. And it is unwise to pretend that the world is different than this. So this dad starts off by telling his son what he is supposed to do. Obey God's commands. And then he tells him how. And here's the summary of the how. Trust God himself. It's not just do what God says to trust him, to know him in relationship. Verses 5 through 8 say this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So here's what he's saying. A life of obedience, of steadfast love and faithfulness comes from a heart that is in awe of God. A heart that reverences him, honors him, 
and worships him. A life where God is not on the margins, but God is front and center and the spotlight is on him and how amazing he is. The book of Proverbs starts off this way. In chapter one, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is to understand that God is the creator of the ends of the earth. That God is infinitely more wise and infinitely more good than I am. And I am accountable to him for my life. So how do you do that? How does God stay in the central place in your life? This dad tells his son, first of all, what not to do. He says a couple things. Don't lean on your own understanding and don't be wise in your own eyes. How easy is it for us to slip into an independent mindset where we think that the decisions that we make are good and so we grow prideful until we fall and learn the hard way that we really don't know what we're doing. So he says, beware of leaning on your own understanding or being wise in your own eyes. You know what it's like to talk to somebody who is wise in their own eyes because you know that they're only listening to you so that they can get their next sentence in about themselves or give you their advice. Just like to hear themselves talk. So he says, don't be like that. Instead, positively, trust him with your whole heart. In everything, acknowledge him. Recognize that every skill that you have, every opportunity that you come across, every sunrise and every sunset, every snowflake that falls to the ground is a gift from him. And acknowledge it. Don't live a life of thinking that you're doing God a favor. Live a life of thanks. Acknowledging that what you have is a gift. And trusting him by going here for wisdom. Lean not on your own understanding. Trust in him. Here's what's going to happen. His word is going to contradict your understanding. Whenever you get to that fork in the road, choose him. He says in his word that his ways and his thoughts 
are as high as the heavens are above the earth compared to your thoughts and your ways. He is infinitely more wise than you are. Here's what's going to happen. He promises that if we live this way, it will be healing and refreshing to you. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. What's he saying? Remember your mom used to say, drink your milk so that your bones get strong. What's she saying? You need your calcium. You need your nutrients. Because when you get your proper nutrients, your whole body is healthy. My son Luke was adopted from the Democratic Republic of Congo. When he came home, he was super malnourished. He was like in the 20th percentile. So we just thought he was small. Then we started feeding him good food and giving him big glasses of milk. He grew nine inches in one year. Dude's a monster. He's in third grade. He weighs 85 pounds. He's big. How did that happen? He trusted us and believed that the food that we were giving to him was good for him. And so he ate it, and as a result of eating it, it was refreshing to his bones. Guys, the words of the Bible are like that to your soul and to your life. I want to invite you guys into a practice that I've put in place in my life, and that is to read the proverb of the day every day. So there are never more than 31 days in a month, and there are 31 proverbs. And so it's very simple. Proverbs is easy to find right in the center of your Bible. Flip it open. You go, you know, to your calendar, you look at the day, you flip to that day, and you read the proverb. It'll take you two minutes. If you do that, and you think about what you read, and you begin to put God's wisdom into action in your life, you begin to let him correct you and discipline you and help you and give you wisdom, it will refresh your life. It will change you from deep within. And I want to invite you to trust God like that. Okay, so we've sort of been in the clouds so far. We talked about obeying God's commandments, just generally steadfast love, faithfulness, trusting God with all of our hearts. So we receive this refreshing. Now this dad gets serious about two issues. Money and suffering. Two issues that all of us wrestle with. First one he talks about is money, and here's what he exhorts his son to do. Honor God's generosity. Okay, verses 9 and 10. He says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. You honor the Lord with your wealth. How can I honor the Lord with 
my wealth. I thought it was mine. Who is God to tell me what to do with my money? Who is God to tell me what to do with my sex life? Who, who is God to get involved in my business? What kind of worldview would lead a dad to say something like this to his son? So if you dig into the word Lord here, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it'll lead you on this really fun Bible study trip. And you'll get back to the beginning of the book of Exodus where God introduces his name as Yahweh. And, and Yahweh literally means I am who I am. When God reveals himself to this guy named Moses, he says, I just am. Which is a really weird way to introduce yourself. Unless you're God. What God is saying is, no one gave me anything that I have. No one made me. I am the self-existent Lord. I am the uncaused causer of everything. And so what that means, if that's your worldview, what that means is that everything that you have is a gift. All of your wealth, your education, every opportunity that you'll have in the future is a gift. And if everything is a gift and God, the giver, asks you for the first fruits. So here's what first fruits means. It's where we get our idea of a tithe, giving 10% of what you have. Here's what first fruits meant. Let's say you had 100 rows of crops. First fruits would mean that the first 10 rows that you harvested would be given to the local priest would be given to the local religious community to carry on the work of God as a sacrifice. And here's what he's saying. God is so super abundantly rich that if you'll give him your first fruits, he'll make sure that you always have enough. Because he delights to give you what is good for you. And so here's the calling for you. It's to trust that he is so good that you can't outgive him. And thus honor him by giving him his due. You guys know how this works in normal life, right? You give your money freely and spend your money freely on those that you honor. What does your money say about who you honor? My guess is for a lot of you, it says that you really like yourself. 
I, I remember when Melissa and I, my wife, first started dating. I thought I didn't have any money. And then all of a sudden, we started dating, and my perspective totally changed. And I felt like a millionaire. I was like, I could spend anything on this girl. Like most of the time, I like took her out to Wendy's, but that was like a big deal for me, right? <laughs> but it was so easy to spend money on her. Why? Because I honored her, because I loved her. And, and here's what he, this, this dad is saying to his son is like, don't just give 10% of your money to the religious community, the church. Honor God. Love him. Have this relationship of love with him that makes it easier to give 10% of your money away to the church than to Lisa Lexus. Be more excited about that. Be pumped about that. Honor God with your wealth. By the way, what you're doing now with the little bit that you make or have is what you'll do in the future with what you make or have. Right now, you're setting the course of your life. Start now, even if it's a little bit. Okay, a second particular that he wants us to understand about how to live this dependent life on, on God, going all in for him, is to respect God's discipline. Hey, Proverbs 3, verses 11 through 12 he says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Okay, what's made clear in Hebrews chapter 12 is that what this father is talking about to his son specifically when he talks about discipline is he's talking about suffering in life that we're not to see suffering that comes into our life as an accident that just bad luck that the universe is sort of this impersonal force that's out to get us but we're supposed to see suffering as a tool in the hands of a loving father. This is what he says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you have all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. In the NIV, verse 7 says, endure hardship or suffering as discipline. So here's what will happen in your life as you experience suffering. The suffering will either refine you by drawing you into deeper dependence on God and helping shape your character so that you become more and more like Jesus. So it can refine you. Or 
your suffering will define you. You will become your suffering. You will hate God. You will turn on him. It will push you away from him. And the difference is, you have to see it as discipline, not as punishment. You have to see that when God brings suffering into your life, it's not because he hates you, it's because he loves you. And he wants what's best for you. Because I don't know about you, but I know this is true about me, that when I'm not suffering, I get comfortable really quick. And I start turning away from God. And I feel like I don't need him because my life is going just fine. And I never like to suffer. It's painful. It's terrible. No, No one thinks that suffering is a good in and of itself. But when I suffer and I come to know more of God, I'm always thankful that I did. So I want you to know right now, if you are suffering deeply, that God has not forsaken you. He loves you. He's reaching out to you through the suffering. Yes, he's disciplining you, but he's disciplining you as a father who loves you because he wants you to be close to him. And I'm so proud of you for being here. Because what that shows me is that in the midst of your suffering, you're drawing near to him. And you are going to be changed at the very core of your character. And it's going to be beautiful. There's this guy, I came across this amazing quote. This guy named Norman Anderson. He um, was kind of a famous evangelical years ago. But um, he had lost all three of his children in their early adulthood. And his wife uh, became so senile that she couldn't even recognize him anymore. And uh, he was speaking in a conference and kind of got into this little Q&A. And here's what happened. Somebody said, when you look back over your life and reflect on the fact that you have lost all three of your children, how your wife of 60 years no longer recognizes you, do you ever ask the question, why me? Here's what he said. No, I've never asked that question, why me? But I have asked the question, why not me? I am not promised as a Christian that I will escape the problems encountered by others. We all live in a fallen world. I am, however, promised that in the midst of the difficulties, God, through Christ, will be present with me and will give his grace to help me cope with the difficulties and bear witness to him. We are not promised that our lives will be easy, but we are promised that God will be with us. That even if you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that God will be.
guys, I watched my son die at five months and three days old. And God was there. He was there. And he'll be in whatever dark valley God has for you. But know this. God is not punishing you. He loves you. And his mission for your life is that you would become a person of wisdom. It's that important that he is willing to put you through hell on earth so that you will live in dependence on him because that's what it takes. So how do we do that? Guys, we're all falling apart. The world's falling apart. This place is total crap. How do we keep on going? How do we not just give in? Eat, drink, be merry. Tomorrow we die. It's a quote from the Bible. People are still doing that. People think Dave Matthews made that up. You know? It's like, how do we keep going? Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those are the people who have gone before us in the faith, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Here's what we have to do. Consider him. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Get our eyes off of our circumstances. Get our eyes off of ourselves. Get our eyes off of our sin. Get our eyes off of our suffering. And fix our eyes on Jesus. And see that he is our big brother who walked this path before us, who is the perfect Son, and he endured, left earth, but did not leave us alone, but sent his spirit to live within us, to empower us to be able to live lives of wisdom, which means we can do this. I can't do this, but I can do this through Christ who gives me strength. So we got to link arms with each other. We got to remind each other that Jesus is our help and Jesus is our Savior and we can depend on him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are here and that we can depend on you. God, there's we can't trust the news right now. We can't um, trust ourselves. 
can't trust our experience. We can't trust our knowledge. We can't trust our wisdom. Um, we need a dad who just tells, it how it, tells us how it is. And so thank you, God, that, that you gave us your word. Help us to be people who trust in you with all of our heart. Lean not on our own understanding. In all our ways, acknowledge you. And God, would you make our path straight? For Jesus' sake, amen.